Amen. As Lance said, we do appreciate our seniors and congratulate you. Um, you know, it's, it's a big day. It's a, it's a special day because it's a transition in their lives. I was thinking back just a moment ago when I graduated high school five years ago. It was amazing. And uh, <clears throat> it's a few more years than that. But back in those days, just, you know, it's all you know. You spend your whole life in school focused on the, 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 the classes and just you want to get out, you want to get out, want to get out. And then you graduate and it's like, okay, now what? You're at a transition, if you will, or a crossroad. And some will go on to education, some will go straight to work, some will do some, you know, other type of training, ag schools or whatever. And uh, I just know it's a big, big day, a big day of transition. So our prayer as a church is that God will open doors, close doors, that he'll give you wisdom, direction as you take those next steps, that you'll find your purpose and find exactly what it is that God has wired you and gifted you to do, and so that you can enjoy life and to grow into adulthood and be responsible citizens in the U.S. of A. And all the parents are like, yes, please, right? All right, it's good to be in God's house today. I'm glad you're here. Speaking of transition, we're going to talk about that today. So if you'll, um, as Lance said, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I want to talk about the ascension of Christ. Um, so this doesn't get a lot of time uh, in, the, in the pulpit. I mean, it's a big event. It's a significant event. But what we've been doing is focusing over the past few weeks on just some of those post-resurrection stories and events that took place. So last week, David talked about the transformation of this man named Saul into Paul, and I'm so grateful that we have a God who transforms even the, the roughest of people and, and uses them for his purpose, right? But after the resurrection, there were some significant things that happened, and one of them which you know, kind of ends with the ascension of Christ, that's what we focus on today, but we looked at the reinstatement of Peter. You remember Peter failed in a big way, denied that he even knew Jesus and we see him restored in the Gospel of John where Jesus, after the resurrection, restores Peter. What a beautiful picture and a reminder that we serve a God who restores uh, the fallen, restores the broken. And then I talked a few weeks ago about um, he commissions, the great commission where he sends these disciples out to proclaim the good news across the world. And it just is mind-boggling to me. To know that he chose 12 people, fishermen, and, I, and Matthew we know was a tax collector, but he chose these most unlikely of people for such a daunting task. And we see their obedience, and they immediately go out and they start proclaiming the gospel. That's what the book of Acts is all about, the birth of the church, the, the growth and the expansion of it. And if you just think about it for a moment, here we are about 2,000 years removed from the birth of the church, their obedience, and we're still responding to their message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you, you, you could go back and thank those fishermen and that tax collector for being obedient to the Great Commission to go out and make disciples, right? And so that's one of the things we focused on, and he did a lot of other stuff. He proved himself uh, over a period of 40 days that he genuinely was resurrected from the grave. He was real. In fact, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke talks about him. Um, they were concerned that he was a ghost, and he said, touch me and see that I'm, I'm, I'm not a ghost. And then he asked him for something to eat. And they gave him some broiled fish, and he ate that. And so he proved to them in many different ways over that period of 40 days that he was, in fact, raised from the dead. We celebrated Easter. And I've said before, Easter is like one of the biggest days on the church calendar. It's like our Super Bowl Sunday, right? Easter. He lives. He's risen. He's risen indeed. So we've been focusing on these post-Easter ripples, if you will, like it made a splash and just these events that just occur. And one that I think is as significant as the resurrection of Christ is the ascension of Christ. There's not a lot of scripture that speaks specifically of it, but when you take scripture as a whole, you see a lot more that, that comes into view about what's taking place 
because of the ascension um, and, and through that and the role that Jesus plays even now. Um, and so the resurrection was powerful, and then we have the ascension when Jesus goes back up into heaven. Um, and so let's, let's just consider this for a moment. Jesus spent, he's like 30, 33 years old on the earth. Um, he spent about three years with these disciples, teaching them and performing these miracles in front of them and doing life with them. And they loved Jesus, right? And then they saw Jesus crucified on a cross. He was murdered. He was buried. And three days later, they had the joy of seeing Jesus come out of the tomb. And they were pretty excited. And now Jesus is spending some time with them, and he takes them outside of Jerusalem, just a little ways, to a region called Bethany. It's what Luke says. And the book of Acts tells us it's the Mount of Olives. So is there a conflict there? No, it's the same area. Um, around Bethany, there's the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus takes these disciples out to that region, the Mount of Olives, and he begins to commission them. Like, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go out, and you're going to make disciples. But I need you to wait around in Jerusalem for a little while because the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to empower you. And when he empowers you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and throughout the ends of the earth. And we know from history that's exactly what happened. They begin ministry in Jerusalem, and then they expanded beyond that to Samaria. And then as Paul came on as the apostle of the Gentiles, and it went even further than that. And so, so thankful for their obedience this morning. Amen? So Jesus is now with them at the Mount of Olives, and he's standing there. And, and the Gospel of Luke says, after he tells them this, he's, he's got his hands, he's blessing them, proclaiming a blessing on them. And as he's doing that, he begins to ascend up into the air. I think it's pretty, pretty exciting when you consider what that must have been like to be with them. So look at verse 9 in chapter 1. Let's actually back up to verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, can you imagine? They're watching Jesus, and it says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching him. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing there looking like idiots staring into the heavens? That's Shane's version. Why are you standing there staring into the heavens? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Luke tells us that as Jesus was ascending, the disciples were just worshiping. I think I would too. It's like, oh, Jesus is ascending into heaven. That's a powerful sight to behold. And it says after that, they went into Jerusalem, they were praising, and they were just waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he told them to wait for. I think the ascension is pretty intense, and I think it's pretty significant in Scripture. And so we'll just look at a couple of the events around that, and then the significance, what it means even today, we'll look at his work, what he's doing currently now, and a promise that he made, and then we'll also look at what we are responsible to do um, while Jesus is doing what he's doing. And so, consider Jesus ascending into heaven. There's nothing else on earth that compares to that. Think about this for a moment. An airplane needs a runway to ascend into the heavens. A bird needs a set of wings to be able to ascend up into the sky. Superman needs a cape in order to ascend up into the heavens, right? 
A helicopter needs propellers in order to ascend up into the heavens, but not Jesus. Jesus had no help from any earthly function, matter, or whatever, but he ascends into heaven by the power of God. And I don't know what that would have been like, but I could just imagine being there that day and slowly watching him ascend. Their mouths are probably wide open like, you see that? Do you see that? Look at that. And Jesus ascends until he's kind of covered in a cloud and they can see him no more. And that's where they're standing when the two white-robed angels show up and go, well, you guys stand there looking into the heavens. He's going to come back, right? And so he ascends into heaven. Nothing else compares to this. Um, but there are some comparisons that we can draw because the promise that Jesus will return, there's some things that we will know about his return. Let me just tell you, all of Christendom agrees that Jesus is going to return. Amen? Now, there's a lot of debate on the when. Now, we know that we don't know the day or the hour or the time. That, those things we just don't know. But there's some debate on will he return before, in the middle of, or after a great tribulation. There's some debate on that. There's a lot of people that disagree on the timing there. But everyone agrees that one day Christ will return. What a glorious day that's going to be. And so from the time he ascended into heaven to the time that he returns, there are a few comparisons that I'd like to point out. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem in the region of Bethany. He's on the Mount of Olives when he lifts up off of the ground. He sends into heaven. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4 tells us, On that day, referring to the day when Christ returns, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. It goes on to say that when he touches the Mount of Olives, it will split from the east to the west, dividing north and south. That's pretty cool, right? So he leaves from the Mount of Olives and he will return to the Mount of Olives. A second thing, similarity, is it was visible. For all of those people that were there that day, they're looking into heaven. They're watching Jesus ascend into heaven. They visibly saw the resurrected Lord ascend into heaven. Here's what it says about the return of Christ. It's in Matthew chapter 24. Daniel even talks about it in his visions and his dreams. Revelation chapter 1, all of us tell us that Jesus will return on the clouds. And it says, every eye will behold him. Every eye will see him. I used to think, man, wouldn't it be cool to be in Jerusalem when Jesus comes back and stands on the Mount of Olives? I mean, I think it'd be kind of a cool thing to witness, right? So you, you buy a house over there. The problem is you don't know when, so, but you sell everything. And I know people that did this, moved to Jerusalem, and there got front row seats when Jesus comes back. That's going to be a cool thing to behold. Well, it's not practical because you can't get the whole world there at the Mount of Olives, and we don't know when. So the good news is we're all going to see it. He says, as his lightning is from the east to the west, so every man will see the coming of the Son of Man. And so it was a visible ascension, and it'll be, a visible, it'll be visible in his second coming. Every eye will behold him. Are you ready for his return? So these clouds, he was taken up into the clouds, and it says that they began to cover him and so that they could no longer see Jesus. They were strained to see Jesus in these clouds. And some have said, what kind of clouds were they? Were they just like rain clouds like we never see in Canyon, Texas? You know, these moisture clouds? Or No, I think it's a reference back to the Old Testament, the presence of God. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, it says that the cloud of the Lord's glory just descended on there, that they couldn't even minister. It was so thick. And we see the Shekinah glory of God in that moment. Right? And so Jesus ascends into the clouds. He's wrapped in the clouds. And here's what it says about his return. That the Son of Man will be a sign in the heaven, the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Daniel talks about it. And Matthew chapter 24 also talks about Jesus coming in the clouds. Jesus, before he ascended, he's praying to his Father. And he said, let me uh, return to the glory that I shared with you before the world began. 
And so Jesus in heaven was experiencing, and it was a part of the glory uh, there in heaven, and he gave up those things to come here and live a life as a human being. He limited himself. He didn't give up his deity, but he limited himself for a season. It's called the time of humiliation, his ministry on the earth. And at the ascension, we have the end of his humiliation and the beginning of his exaltation. Aren't you glad that we celebrate an exalted Christ? So this glory, it says that when he ascended, it was like a glory... It was a glorious appearance. Don't you think that every one of those guys were like, this is crazy. And the reason I think that it was that way is because it says they worshipped. I think that's a proper response to something like that. They just worshipped Jesus as he ascended into heaven. And then it says they went back to Jerusalem and they were praising him. What a glorious ascension. And yet Matthew 24 tells us that when he returns, it will be a glorious return. I don't think we can wrap our minds around how epic the return of Jesus will be. But this ascension is significant, and the reason it is is because it marks a transition in Jesus' ministry. So he spent time on the earth as a human being, fully God, fully man, and now at this time his work has done as far as what he came for. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we know Jesus' purpose for coming to the earth was to go to a cross, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, right? That was his job. And so his resurrection from the grave just demonstrated his power over death. It demonstrated that that work was complete, and now we are victorious over death through Christ when we believe in the gospel. But when he ascends into heaven, it's like he began a new phase of his ministry's work. So, so we need to understand Jesus' work in like past, present, and future. So there's still some work that Jesus will do in the future when he returns. And how many know it would be really cool when you see it says the dead in Christ will rise. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. That's his future work. Uh, another one is it says he will reward all of his people. The, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat judgment. And then this is not a negative thing, but much like the Olympic Games where they, they give out rewards for things that we've done while on the earth, that's still future work of Christ. And lastly, he's going to physically sit on the throne of David. He's the rightful heir to sit on the throne, and he will sit as a ruler of the entire world. That's the future work of Christ. And so today, what is he doing? Well, we know he went to heaven, and while he's in heaven, it says he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's a place of glory and great exaltation and honor, and I think it's a beautiful picture of a work completed. So he did the work on the earth. He sits down at the right hand of the Father to signify that work was done. Aren't you glad the work was done? Everything that needed to be done for you and I to be made right with God was done through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But Revelation tells us that he stands among the candlelights that represent the churches, and so there's this ongoing work of Christ in heaven. And I think this is why the ascension is significant because if I were there that day and I was one of the disciples and Jesus is telling us, hey, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to like, oh, wait, 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 Jesus. We kind of like having you here. This has been good. I mean, we've been able to chill out with you for three plus years. I mean, you just, we just lost you, but now you're back and now you're, you're leaving. Can you just stay? And they were kind of sad about that. And so in John chapter 16, he, he refers to that and he says, it's important, it's necessary that I do go away. And I want to tell you, it is a blessing to us that he did ascend into heaven because he began his present work. And we'll talk about that for a moment. So his present work is he is the head of the body. He serves as the head of the body. Now, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel you become a part of the family of God, right? We call ourselves sons and daughters, the children of God. 
But we also refer to this as the body of Christ, right? Paul talks about that. We are the body of Christ. And so you're like, what part of the body I am? Just please don't be the butt, all right? That's just an aside joke, but... No, but we're all a part of the body of Christ, and Christ serves as the head of the body. His body, not our body, his body, he's the head of it. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is the body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Colossians 1.18 says that we are the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the body. So today he serves as the head of the body. He forms the body. So how does he form the body? Well, this is where it was necessary for him to go away because he said, if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit or the advocate will not come. But when the Holy Spirit does come, he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness. He's going to speak what I tell him. And he's the one that actually baptizes believers into the body of Christ. So when you place your faith in Jesus, he says, the Holy Spirit, this is like a supernatural thing that he just puts us into the body of Christ. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, for we were all, say all. So if you place your faith in Christ, this is who he's talking to. All of the believers, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, there used to be divisions, right? The Jews, the Gentiles, us and them. And he said, no, 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 no longer. There's no dividing wall of separation. There's one body now. And when you place your faith in him, you're baptized to form one body. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. And so... Jesus is the head of the body. He forms the body. The Holy Spirit is the agent uh, that makes that happen. He baptizes us into the body. What else does he do to the body? Well, he cares for the body. To care for the body means to nurture the body or to, to grow the body. Now, you've got parents and you just witnessed your kids. You know, you're, you're going through this transition of them graduating and turning into adults. How many know it's, um, it's important for them to grow and to mature? Right? I mean, you don't want to turn loose a bunch of 18-year-old kids out in the community and without any immature, without any maturity, right? We want them to grow. We want them to mature into adulthood. And the same thing is true of our faith. We are to grow in our faith. There's a word called sanctification. And I've said this before. I believe that God is more committed to our sanctification, our growth in our faith, than even we are sometimes, right? Because we say we want to learn, we want to grow. God says, okay, that's, that's my will, that you grow in your salvation, that you're sanctified. And so he cares for the body by growing us more and more in Christ. And he does that through the washing and the regeneration of his word. As we read the scriptures, as we apply scriptures, we obey scriptures, we're growing and growing and growing into maturity. That's the work of Christ currently. He cares for the body. He nurtures the body. Paul talking about this in Ephesians, he's using the the relationship of husbands and wives, uh, but then he says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemishes. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. He goes on to say, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So church, we need to know that the present ministry of Jesus is forming the body, caring for the body. And that's, that's good news for us today, right? He also gives gifts to the body. Ephesians mentions this, 1 Corinthians 12 mentions this, the gifts that he, the various gifts that he gives to the body of Christ. Now, some think gift is like, hey, that means play. No, the gifts have a purpose, and those gifts were given in order for us to know how to present ourselves in the community fellowship and the body to minister to one another. So he gives us these gifts, these resources, these talents, so that we can minister Health, in a healthy way, to the body of Christ. And so he equips us in that way. He gives the gifts to the body. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. And he also empowers the body. John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we learn that he is our source. He empowers us for daily living. And we can't just go through life without him um, in, in, a, in, a, in a very productive ways, like apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches, and so it's important for us to stay connected to the vine. Amen? So Jesus is the head of the body. He cares for it, he nurtures it, he gifts it, and, and he, he equips it to be able to function properly, and he empowers it by himself. And so that's a very important role for Jesus currently that he's doing. Another role that he performs is as high priest. Um, Hebrews points us out. It says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. You know, sometimes I think that we get into a situation in life and we're like, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. And I may not understand what you're going through, but there is someone who does. The Bible says his name is Jesus. And he's been through a lot of what we've been through. And he says, he knows what we're going through. That's, that's comforting to me as high priest. He goes on to say, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven through the ascension, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. Church, he understands our weakness. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we find the grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus currently serves as our high priest. He's the mediator between God and man, and he's working on your behalf and on my behalf, and that's encouraging today, amen? That he understands what we're going through. He was tested and tempted just like we are, yet he did not sin. And so he says, hey, we need to come boldly before the throne of grace because our great high priest has been there, done that, and he knows what we've been through, and he knows how to, to lead us, and we find mercy and grace in our time of need. I like those two things. He's the head of the body, he serves as our high priest. But I think the one that makes me the most excited, especially the older I get, is that he is a preparer of a place. And Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14. He's talking to his disciples, and he's told them he's about time for him to go back to his father. You know, he came from heaven, and he's going to go back to heaven. It's time for me to go back to my father. And they're kind of discouraged, and he says in John 14, 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions, depending on what translation you read. If it were not so, I would have told you. And listen to this. He says, I am going through the ascension to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. You know the way where I'm going. Thomas says, how do we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So the present ministry of Jesus is he's preparing a place for us. I don't know about you, but that gets me a little excited when I think about this world and the brevity of life. Life is short, and one day it's going to be over, and to know that after that, there's a place in heaven prepared for me. What's it going to be like? I don't know. And I share with the first um, group, and they didn't quite catch it, but there's a band that says it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Thank you. You did a little bit better than the first crowd. They looked at me like, what? Who sang that? Audio adrenaline, isn't it? Anyway, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. Oh, oh, oh. It's a big, big house. I don't know what it's going to be like, but the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither can hear the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. He is preparing a place for us. And so you see, the, the ascension of Christ is very significant because in the ascension, Jesus is leaving the earth and he's going home to prepare a home for you and me. Amen? But... He left us here to prepare a people for the same home. What was the last thing he told the disciples before he ascended? Go out and make disciples, right? I've got a job for you to do. You're going to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples to follow all the teachings that I've told you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and so now they're, they're watching Jesus ascend into the, the clouds, and they're standing there with their mouths open and just in awe, and these two white-robed men show up and say, why are you standing there looking into the heavens? That for me is like, hey, back down here. You got a job to do. He just told you, go make disciples. And church, it is still the Great Commission. We are still to make disciples. So we continue to preach the gospel. We still try to reach out to family and friends and the churches proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ until the day that he returns. That is our mission today. Amen. Let me ask us a question. How are we doing? Now, I don't ask that question to make anybody feel bad, but the reality is it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, some people say, I just have a hard time talking about my faith. And I get it. I mean, because I do as well in, in certain situations. But, you know, how many know the way we live our lives, the way we handle our business, the way we respond to situations? All of that speaks volumes. In fact, one person said it this way. We tell people about Jesus, and if it's necessary, we will use words. And so we have a role to play, too. He's working in heaven. He's got a role there, his ministry. And we also have one here, too, and that is to make disciples. And where my heart is at lately is the culture of the world that we live in is so tense. It is so hot. I'm thinking, while we may not be actively making disciples, there is the possibility that we're doing damage to that Great Commission. We're, we're, we're doing more harm than good. It looks like this. You live in a community, and there's a lot of stuff that's jacked up in communities, right? Can we agree? Government, you know, there's all that stuff, and we, we get, you know, local stuff that's going on, and we just get inundated with it. And so as Christians, we get frustrated. We're like, this ain't right. And we, we stand up, and we start letting our voices be heard. And my concern is when we do that, if we're not careful, we can do damage to other brothers and sisters of Christ that might be in those groups in the community. Are you following me? 
You've heard it said before that the church is terrible about shooting the wounded, right? You see somebody that has a, a broken relationship or they failed in some way and the church is just there to beat them up and kick them when they're down. And that's not what we're called to do. The same thing is true as we engage in culture around us. The church is not to circle the wagons and just be, you know, kind of us for and no, for, no more mentality. But we're to be influential in the communities around us. And so here's what I like to think about. I just, the whole week I've been thinking this way. I'm a citizen of the United States of America, and I'm proud to be an American, right? I'm a red-blooded American. I love America, and I'm committed to America. I'm thankful as a citizen of the United States that I have the freedom to do a lot of different things. I can carry my handgun almost wherever I want to go. Freaks some people out, but I can. I have the freedom to say what I want, except for yell fire in a crowded movie theater. That'll get you in a big trouble. Don't do that. But you live in a country that you're free to go out and voice your opinion. If you don't like government, you can speak up. At least for now, you can speak up and your voice can be heard. That's kind of cool, isn't it? It's one of the freedoms that we have and inalienable rights given to us by our creator. And I'm thankful for that. But I have to remember, and I think we all have to remember, that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. If we've placed our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we also belong to the citizen of God's kingdom. And here's the problem. The freedoms that I enjoy as an American citizen, sometimes they may cause me to violate the commands of Christ in his kingdom. And that's a big problem, isn't it? When, so whenever I'm out here just, you know, I'm engaging in community and we're to make disciples and influence the world around us and I'm just up there pounding or marching the street or just everybody's demons and going to hell and all this stuff that we've seen over the years and I'm just out there doing this, if I forget the greater goal is to love God, to love people, to make disciples, I can do some damage to the Great Commission and I don't want to do that. So in my freedom to say whatever I want to say, on the other side, I'm saying, I'm a... I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I do not want to violate his command to let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only that which is good for building others up, right? That death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love to eat it, or those who love it will eat its fruit. And so there's this conflict sometimes between our citizenships, dual citizenship, but let us remember as followers of Christ that our king is coming back. He will return. And the question is, are we ready, Right? He's left to go home to prepare a home for us, but he's left us here to influence culture and to prepare a people for a prepared place. And I just want to remind us that it's so much, there's so much at stake. I'm going to be very, very careful. Let me tell you my heart as a pastor. I've been here almost 20 years now. And my heart's desire as a pastor is this to be a place where anybody in the world can come in here no matter where they come from, and they can hear about the love of God. Now, I will preach truth, and I always have, and I'm not scared to. If you've been around for that long, you know I will, right? But in doing so, very careful, realizing that there's a greater need to love those people and to influence them with the gospel, and hopefully they change their lives, and they are changed by the, the transforming God that David talked about last week, right? That's the ultimate goal. And so what I don't want is, as a pastor of a church and a community, I don't want to ever be a church that's known in its community that it's trying to influence as we're against everybody. You know, the radical ones. You remember the ones one in Kansas, Westboro, that's picketing funerals and stuff like that? I mean, we never, ever find our, ourselves in that, in that kind of company, right? Because we have good news, and we're to preach that good news, and we're to tell people about the gospel. And the reality is, is a lot of the people that we may disagree with out in culture and community are some of the same believers. They believe, they've placed their faith in Jesus just like we did. 
And they're in those situations. They may be in a tough spot where their hands are tied, but just remember that as we're out there engaging in society, to be very, very careful how we conduct ourselves and how we address and influence the culture around us. Does that make sense? So you think about Jesus ascends into heaven to prepare a home for us. And while he's there doing his work, he said, hey, you've got work to do too. And that work is to make disciples. And so one of the things that can kind of knock that off a track is how we engage culture. And so my counsel to all of us would be very, be very careful how we engage culture. Be very careful how we passionately defend our positions. And I'm not saying that we, we ignore truth because we stand on that truth. But we do it in a way that hopefully at some point will cause those same people to come around to that way of thinking and to trust the gospel just like we trusted the gospel. So that they also can share a home in heaven that's prepared for those that place their faith in the gospel. Amen? I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of being able to, to go to heaven. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is the vilest offender, the most jacked up person who truly believes in the gospel is immediately changed and placed into the body of Christ and they share the same promise that I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare it, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, there you'll be also. I just hope you don't stick me in an alley somewhere, right? Or like the sixth floor back, like a utility closet somewhere, saying you were pretty honoring. You're here, but no, I don't think that. I think that's going to be amazing to know that we have the hope of heaven. And so keep that in mind. I always ask you the question, are you ready for home? Are you ready for the return of our ascended Jesus? Because what goes up must come down, and one day he's going to come back, and every eye will see him. And what a glorious, glorious day that's going to be. Amen? Father, we thank you for... Lord, the, the opportunity to just share your word and to spend a little time in it today just looking at the ascension. And Lord, I have to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time focusing on that, but when I look at the total of all of Scripture and all the things that are going on now because of that, it was necessary for you to ascend them to heaven. And so we thank you for your present work as high priest. We thank you for your present work in the body of Christ, building up and caring for and uh, equipping and empowering us as the body. Lord, I thank you that you're preparing a place for us, that we have the hope of heaven, that beyond this life, that we know that death is not the end, it doesn't have the last say, but there is a hope of heaven, all because you ascended into heaven. And Lord, we know one day you're going to come back with that promise that you will return, and I thank you for that, Lord, and we look for that. And as we look at the world that we're in, and, and we see how it feels like it's spinning out of control, we say, even so, Lord, come quickly. But Lord, we know that you're patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But, Lord, that everyone will have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And I pray that everyone in this room has placed their hope and their faith in the gospel. And I also pray that we see our role, Lord, as we know that you have work in heaven that you're doing, that we see our role here on the earth, uh, that we're to be the salt and the light. We're to be influential in the culture around us. Lord, we're to make disciples. And, Lord, my hope is that we will not do more damage to the cause than good. And so, Lord, if that, if that speaks to us today, just remind us of how uh, vulnerable and how sensitive things are, that we don't exercise liberties as a citizen in the United States that might cause us to violate, Lord, our conscience of what you tell us in your scriptures to do. And so, Lord, would you help us to just have that balance between truth and love? And Father, I pray that if there's someone here that's not placed their faith in you, that today they would realize it's the most important thing that they can do with their lives is trusting you for salvation. And Lord, you would encourage us as we leave this place, as we go out and engage in family, at work, and culture, and debate, 
and all these things that we will know who we belong to and we'll try to honor you and what we do and we say. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.